At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. to run. Uh, this is a birthday bumper music selection from my friend Mike Cusick, who uh, was was an assemblyman for 24 years, a close friend of mine, long before he held elective office, and uh, now is uh, doing very well as the head of the SIEDC. He's doing great. Now, um, in terms of where we're going with shooting these UFOs out of the sky which the government still either cannot or will not tell us what they are, it has developed a whole new interest in the field of UFOs or UAPs with people looking at the reports that the Director of National Intelligence has already issued with renewed interest and wanting more information, wanting more more information about what we already know and a better handling of these sort of situations going forward. Well, Grime Rendell is a really great intellect on this subject. He's an aviation historian, a podcaster, and the author of UFOs Before Roswell. Grime, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Morning, Frank. Yeah, it's uh, early in the morning in the UK, but I'm happy to, to come on and, and speak with you. Thanks very much for the invitation. So give folks a little bit of an idea uh, about your background, because a lot of the people that write about UFOs or Roswell, they view them almost as a, a step removed from science fiction, whereas uh, folks that are that deal with aviation history, conventional aviation history, they have a little bit more credibility with skeptics and, and naysayers. Tell me, uh, tell me about your history with, uh, with studying aviation and how that's dovetail- dovetailed into studying UAPs or UFOs. Yeah, well, I was certainly an aviation enthusiast from an early age. I used to build model aircraft kits when from about four years old. And um, looking at the instructions on, on the kits, you, you would get a little potted history of the aircraft themselves. So that developed into, a, into a, um, an all-consuming sort of passion for everything to do with aircraft, but particularly the Second World War. Um, I got a bit older. I started reading science fiction, as a lot of people do. Um, and my mother bought me a book, who she, which she thought was science fiction, but it turned out to be a book on UFOs. 
And this was about when I was nine or so. So it developed from there. And at that age, I was a bit like a sponge, if you like, and you know, soaking, soaking up all this information. Um, and of course, when it came to, to learning about the Foo Fighters of World War II, the, the strange lights that followed um, United States Army Air Force, uh, night fighters around Western Europe and across in the Pacific, then those kind of three, you know, those three things, the, the wartime, um, the aircraft and the UFOs all collided. They all came together. And, and then when I was able to, much later on, I wrote a book, as you mentioned, UFOs Before Roswell, which deals with the European side of the Foo Fighter phenomenon during World War II. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a look at it through an aviation kind of enthusiasm and historian's perspective, but also for somebody who was interested in UFOs and somebody who was interested in wartime technology. So they all came together. What did the uh, 2017, December 2017, front page New York Times story on the uh, so-called Nimitz encounter, where we actually got to see, uh, covered by a major media publication, these, these objects in real time, what did that do in terms of your interest? Well, for like a lot of people, um, it's almost the UFO equivalent of you know, where were you when JFK was assassinated? Right. It was one of those kind of it was one of those kind of landmark you know sort of dates where everybody just thinks, wow. And it was kind of like one of those heart stopping moments where you, you, all, you were trying to look at yourself, dude. Have I just read that? Has that really just appeared in, in a landmark publication such as the New York Times? And then by also, it wasn't just like just a story. It had some you know, fairly heavyweight kind of reporters behind it. So it wasn't just some flimsy, flimsy tale. You know, they'd done their homework. They'd actually looked into it and they weren't prepared to publish it or get an editor to publish it without it being, you know, sort of, you know, there's some, a lot of truth behind it. And then, of course, the videos that came out that had been released the, you know, accompanying the story, they were just kind of, you know, they, they, they you know, took your breath away as well because we hadn't really seen anything like that beforehand. We're still trying to work out what those things are. In terms of, obviously, you wrote a, a terrific piece about about Roswell uh, with uh, with your book, UFOs Before Roswell. In terms of the Roswell incident in itself, What's your best analysis of what occurred there? And something happened. I mean, that's really, you know, as much as people at the moment seem to be able to prove. Now, where you go from there depends on who you speak to, which witnesses you sort of, you know, believe implicitly, which ones you don't. And unfortunately, it's so long ago now that it's very, very difficult to get to the bottom of it. And any kind of truth that you know, was there is now died with the witnesses because pretty much everybody involved with mm. the actual event has now passed away, unfortunately, due to the passage of time. And unfortunately, there's also been a lot of people who have come forward to try and insert themselves into the story somehow. And it turns out that when you look at them much more deeply, then their part in it is either you know, kind of um, forged or they're, you know, they're trying to say things which didn't actually happen um, or they're just muddying the waters. So it's a bit of a mess, really, I'm afraid, nowadays. And actually, it's something I don't really look at because I'll leave that to other people because there are other people much more qualified and much more close to it than I am who have looked into Roswell, um, you know, and there's still no really further forward, um, to, you know, finding out what, they are, what, what happened then. They have ideas, they have theories, but really trying to prove it 100% that everybody would be satisfied with that explanation. I think that's, we're not there yet. My, my UFOs before Roswell book was actually looking at the Foo Fighters. So it's basically set just before the events of Roswell. So you're looking during the Second World War. Um, and obviously people use 
Kenneth Arnold's UFO sighting from June 47, which was two weeks before Roswell, they use that as the kind of birth of modern UFO, uh, the UFO phenomenon. Whereas I look a little bit further back just to say, well, actually, these things were sort of happening you know, a few years beforehand, and people haven't really taken that as seriously as maybe they should. Give give us briefly an idea of how prevalent UFO sightings were pre-Roswell. Okay, so if we just take the Second World War, for instance, the, the Royal Air Force, and this is even before the Americans entered the war, so in 1940, the Royal Air Force were looking at strange things, lights that were following their bombers over Germany. And there's reports in the intelligence files which I'm still going through now, I'm still trying to make sense of it all. And they, they simply couldn't get a handle on it. And they did analysis after analysis, month after month, right until 1942. And they were still none the wiser as to what these things were and why they were following the bombers. There's a case from March 42 of a Polish aircraft that was, fo- was followed by an orange disc. The, the gunners and the aircraft fired at it and nothing happened. It flew around to the front mm. of the aircraft and they were still firing at it, and then it flew off into the distance. Now, people might say that's some kind of German secret weapon, but unfortunately, if you look at all the types of German secret weapons that they had, and even the things that were on the drawing board, but they never got off the ground, nothing fits. And there were similar stories throughout the war, and if you look at the, the if you go into the documents of the squadrons, which I've done, uh, particularly for the research for the book, you'll see instances of strange lights, rocket, um, things that are described as rockets, but long before the, the Germans were actually experimenting with rockets. Uh, and then things that go even further, as, as such as very strange-looking um, aircraft designs, again, which, which don't exist, and, and just a whole, whole sort of list of things which simply don't fit uh, any kind of German technology from the war. And then, of course, the Americans came into the war. They were seeing things through the daytime. Then you get into about November, uh, sort of October, November 1944. Then night fighters over the, the Western Front were, were, were finding lights following them. And didn't matter what they do to try and shake them off their tail, they were still sitting there. And there are similar stories from the Pacific Theatre as well. There's B-29s being followed by what they call balls of fire. So there's a whole, you know, there's a whole a raft of stories from World War II, which haven't really been gone into in, in any great depth wow. beyond my book and a few others. Um, but, um, you know, I tried to cover the European side of it very comprehensively because I've had access to the, the Royal Air Force. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking out the book. We're talking with Grime Thank Rendell. Uh, he's the author of UFOs Before Roswell. All right, uh, let's go to the present day. We've seen these three objects that the U.S. shot down after the Chinese spy balloon, and we don't know what they are. Government won't tell us what they are. No. If they know, uh, they've said they're not Chinese. They probably, they, not probably, they've said they were not a threat and they were not extraterrestrial. I'm not sure how they can rule out all three of those things without any information as to what these objects are. What's your take on these objects in general and the U.S. government's handling of these three objects, Grime? Okay, so they had they had a problem with the first one, the Chinese spy balloon, which we've seen the image of, and it was only apparently because of some reporter out in the Midwest who had some high high gain kind of optics and managed to get a picture of it, and obviously that went through social media, and they realised they had a problem. They uh, they did shoot it down eventually, but they had a kind of this the, you know this decision as to make as to whether they would shoot it down over open country and whether it caused. Um, casualties on the ground or damage on the ground. So they eventually wait until it went off the North Carolina coast. That's the kind of first problem. There's an intelligence failure there. There's a military failure there. And I'm sure there was egg on faces of senior officers. 
they then open up the radar, if you like. They, they, they widen the filter. And then as soon as they do that, effectively, they're searching for more, for more targets. And, of course, they're going to find them because if you open the radar's parameters, it will find more targets. And now they're suddenly confronted with a whole load of things which they don't know. They don't know what they are, but they're coming over America. And they'll, they'll find these ones which they managed to intercept, the, the, the three that you've mentioned. And the decision was taken to shoot them down because it's one of these, I suppose, it sounds like a bit of a knee-jerk reaction as to, yeah, we've got to do something about this. And yes, okay, they might well be, as, as has been mentioned by various spokespeople um, from the White House, the Department of De- Defense, et cetera, that they're hobbyist balloons or they're somebody's weather balloon that went adrift or, or something, you know, something mundane, but not Chinese or not Russian. Um, so I can see embarrassment there as well. And that would be a, you know, one good reason for them not to release the information. But if they wrap it all with national security and um, they may say, you know, eventually that they can't release the information because it's wrapped up with the kind of sensor technology that the aircraft that have gone up to in- intercept them use to try and identify what they are. And that's a, already a reason why um, they, they don't release the kind of UAP footage or the UFO footage from previous years, say from last decade, because the US Navy have been coming across very strange objects off the west and east coast of America you know, or apparently almost on a daily basis. Um, and there must be footage from, from their airplanes as well, from the various you know, sophisticated sensor technology they have, the infrared cameras and other equipment. Um, now, these aircraft that have gone up to shoot these so-called balloons down, they have the same kind of, kind of gear on board. And that will be the classified you know, stuff. They won't want to release that kind of footage because of defense concerns and national, uh, national security concerns. So they may well have, pretty good information as to what, you know, or good kind of imagery to work out what these um, these things are and maybe some other types of sensor data as well. But um, I bet they won't want to release it. And it'll either because it's wrapped up in national security or because these are fairly mundane things which they've shot down, let's say, a $12 hobbyist balloon with a $400,000 sidewinder missile. You know, how, what does that look like? So, uh, yeah, you know, there'll be various reasons why they're, they're, they're being cagey about it, let's say. Last year, you wrote a, a column in The Sun saying, we've seen UFOs for 75 years. Pilots have died chasing them. We are powerless to stop them and need answers. Now, how do these three objects that were shot down after the Chinese spy balloon compare with the UFOs or flying saucer sightings that uh, that people have been seeing for three quarters of a century. Uh, it, is it the same type of object, or is it something very different? We don't know is, is, the, is the honest answer to that, Frank, because we live in, I suppose, what you call a low-information zone. We're, we're hamstrung by the lack of information that we have. Certainly civilians, the military may have more information to do with sightings, for the reasons which I've already outlined just earlier there. But if you go back through the history of UFO sightings and you look at the official reporting, which I've done for the other two books I've written, uh, Dawn of the Flying Saucers and Flying Saucer Fever, which look at aerial encounters with UFOs during the late 40s and the early 1950s. And even after that, you have report after report where pilots and air crew and passengers see strange things. These are reported up the chain of command, and then there's usually some kind of investigation from the official programs that did such a thing back then. And 
what they do is, you know, they, there was all, almost a kind of a case of let's just write it off as something. So they'd write it off as a, a weather balloon or some other mundane object. And you can look at the, the kind of investigations that were done and where they looked for this information to try and justify the decisions. Now, in some cases, yeah, it's, it's a straight up, yeah, that's what they are, because it's fairly obvious. But in quite a lot of cases, you can't you know, draw a line from what's contained in the citing report and how they're described through to the eventual kind of evaluation as it's a weather balloon or it was just another aircraft or it was a flock of birds or whatever the, the, the case would be. And, and you can't get there. Now, you mentioned before about aircrew who have died. There was certainly at least you know, one person that was, um, that there was a, a pilot died in the late 1940s and the official explanation was originally that he was chasing Venus, and then it was changed. It was also right. changed to a weather balloon. So, you know, that was Thomas Mantell. So he was he was ordered to fly, to investigate um, a, a suspected UFO sighting that had been seen all over Kentucky um, at a particular day, and that they went after it. And he was the last person to climb up after this thing. Uh, his, his squadron mates had had to fly. Um, had had to abandon the chase because one was suffering from um, um, he, he didn't have enough oxygen, sort of thing. So, and they they thought that he might have, himself might have blacked out because he flew too high, um, and that might be the case, but it might not be as well. It's very it's very strange when you look at the the background to that case and you look at the the official reporting. Some some of it doesn't quite add up, and then the the, the explanation that it was a secret type of weather balloon, um, sorry, high altitude balloon experiment called Skyhook, um, the, the 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 rationale behind that falls down because the place where they reckon it might have been launched from, they weren't using that at the time. So the, you know, there's all these kind of things when you look at the stories more in depth. They don't quite add up to the official evaluations. And, of course, that trend just continued through the 50s and then through the 60s. And the official investigations ended in the 1960s, but the sightings continue. And now, of course, we have them in the modern day. We're now starting again with official UFO investigation bodies, such as ARO in the United States. Um, but are we just going to go through the same thing again? Or are they just going to simply write, you know, write them off as, as balloons? These three things might well be you know, quite mundane, and they probably are. But at least it gets the conversation going, and it gets the, the, the idea of you need more information to investigate UFOs rather than less. And that, that's the most important takeaway from this whole sorry saga. One of the things, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Grime Rendall. He's written several books, including uh, UFOs before Roswell. One of the things that a bunch of callers have asked me, and I've asked several guests, and uh, so far I haven't really gotten any sort of a satisfactory answer, and I certainly don't have one to give, is don't the gun cameras on the on the fighter jets that shot down these objects have footage or images of what these objects were? And if they do, why has that not been released yet? Well, yeah, and this is going back to, to the, you know, the previous the conversation we're having. And they probably do have that footage. They have targeting pods and targeting sensors. Uh, the F-16s carry them. The F-22s will carry them. And this is a kind of a, a modern thing. So you find out what you're shooting at. And they have this you know, infrared technology and they have other types of technology as well. So, yes, that information will exist. But then the question is, why aren't they releasing it? And again, it'll come down to... You know, it's national security. We don't want to give the capabilities of our targeting sensors mm. away to people who sure. might be able to look at it, you know, look at imagery, 
and see, oh, yeah, and they might be able to work out around it. There may not be kind of, you know, facts and figures on the actual image, but somebody else, it's information that they're releasing, which they probably think they don't need to um, because it's just, you know, giving an open goal to, to a potential adversary. Now, I can understand that argument, but that's probably one reason. And the other reason is what I said before. There's a potential embarrassment factor here as to whether, you know, they, they show a Batman balloon, a party balloon, let's say, you know. Right. No, I understand that. Sure. Shot down. So therefore, you know, why, why would they you know, bring on this kind of, you know, pressure from, and you can imagine the kind of the circus that would be at a, at a press conference as they show a picture of something fairly mundane, like a hobbyist balloon that's been shot down by a multi-million dollar, uh, sorry, multi-thousand dollar missile, and then the kind of questions that they will get afterwards. So, yeah, I can understand both sides of that. As someone that studied this for, uh, meaning UFOs being spotted for the last, you know, better part of the 20th century, at least 75 years, there's always a lot of folks that believe that these craft might be extraterrestrial in nature. What does your research suggest about that possibility? It, it remains a possibility. I mean, I'm not going to sort of like put my head on the block and say that's definitely what they are because I'm not that kind of person. But it's, it still remains a mystery in so much as we don't have enough information. So there's various theories as to what you know is occurring. They are they in, are they extraterrestrials? Are they what they call ultra-terrestrials, which is some kind of other race which lives among us, which we're not entirely aware of? You know, do they live under the water? Do they live in some other kind of realm that we're not, you know, we can't see ourselves? Are they time travelers from the future? Are they mm. us coming back you know, and to have a look at us? You know, if I was somebody who, who you know, could take advantage of time travel, I'd be looking at the Second World War to find out what happened then, because that's my, one of my you know, fields of interest. So I can understand why, you know, if that was a thing, and I'm not saying it is, but if it was, then people would come back and look at maybe, you know, the flashpoints of, of the 20th century or the 21st century to find out what's going on. You know, there's a history project, let's say. So that's conceivable, I guess. Um, but the other thing is that, you know, again, they're, they're mundane objects or some natural phenomenon that we're simply not aware of at this time. So there's a whole range of things there. And really at the moment, because we are living in this kind of low information zone, we don't have enough information. We don't have enough understanding right. of the issue, never mind any kind of way of saying this is definitely what it is. And the people who come along and say, this is definitely you know, the answer, I know everything or I've been told, you have to take that with a pinch of salt, I'm afraid, because if that had been the case, then we'd all know by now. Grime Randall, a fascinating conversation. I appreciate it, the conversation very much. I hope we could talk again soon. Yeah, cheers, Frank. Thanks very much for inviting me. Thank you. You could check out... His book, or any of any of his books, but including UFOs before Roswell, they're available on Amazon and most other places that books are sold. We'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 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 